Welcome to the Redacted Recover Your Mind podcast. During, During this, this podcast, podcast you'll, you'll hear things that will scare you, intrigue you, and make you doubt reality. But I assure you, none of this is made up for propaganda. This is Reality Draw Out Truth. Broadcasting from a secure location in Traverse City, Michigan. This is the Redacted Recover Your Mind Podcast. Here's your host, Mitchell O'Brien. I always feel like I'm breathing heavy when I come into that because of how it sounds. This is Redacted Recover Your Mind Podcast. I am Mitchell O'Brien. Welcome back. I have Lucas O'Brien here today, and we just want to talk about some stuff. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. You're just going to have to stick around and find out. We apologize. We haven't been as consistent with our our uploads, and, and it's going to change. We've had a whole pocket full of excuses running from not feeling well between Lucas and myself to some equipment struggles. With that, say hi, Lucas. How are you? Hi, Lucas. How are you? <laughs> that feel weird? <laughs> I know, did that sound kind of robotic? Yeah, I didn't need to, but it sounded kind of like an AI bot. So, not good. I know this guy that we work really close to in the recovery community here. Mm-hmm. Hi, Matthew. You don't listen, but hi. Hi, hi Matthew. You should listen. He does, he does a really good automated voice. Like, he does uh, some of the automated, for one of the treatment centers here in town, he does a lot of the automated recordings for their phone trees. And then what he'll do is, if you ever call him directly, he'll pretend to be that. <laughs> and and he'll get you, like, a lot. And sometimes you'll be like, ha got you, Matthew. And then it'll be an actual voicemail. But he sounds just like the weather alert service guy. Like, just like him. It's ridiculous. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> horrible. I know. But coming back from our apology, we are going to try to be a little bit more consistent. But Luke and I wanted to sit here and talk because we haven't gotten to as much as we did before. And we're going to talk about a couple things. Selfishness, maybe end times, pin it down a little ways. I've dealt with selfishness in my life the natural law of things and kind of scope out a couple of misconceptions there. Where do you want to start, Luke? I want to start with saying I've never been selfish ever in my life or lied ever. (laughs) Um, Obviously this is the thing that every single person deals with. And so we can start with just selfishness in general. I'll I'll throw out the idea. (laughs) The reason that I want to talk about this, I've been wanting to talk about it for a while because I work with the general public mm-hmm. and I work in grocery typically in a very well populated area at a very busy gross grocery store that, you know, makes about a million, well, gross is about a million dollars a week. Ooh. They don't make that much. You know, they net very, very little groceries. Now you don't make a lot of money in groceries. Your right. percentages are really low, but that's how much they, they gross per week. This last week, depending on when this comes out, this kind of when we recorded it, it was just Super Bowl Sunday. And, man, it was crazy. Mm. Really up to Valentine's Day. And just a lot of extra sales, a lot of extra. I mean, we've sold 
I work in the produce department mainly. I, I don't know the exact number, but it's been hundreds of cases of strawberries <laughs> in the past week. Like pallets stacked eight feet high. We get one of those every two days. Strawberries, it's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> I don't know how we grow this many strawberries anywhere in the world, and this is just being sold in our one store. But anyway, selfishness. The I've, thing that I've noticed. I have a question before you go there. You notice the strawberries. Did you notice an influx of Alfredo sauce? Um, <laughs> do people put Alfredo on their strawberries? No, <laughs> but I don't know. It's a joke that's going around up in the north here, the Northland, where it's almost Valentine's Day, so all of the grocery stores are out of Alfredo sauce. And the joke is that husbands can't cook. So that's what they cook for their wives on Valentine's Day is, you know, cheap pasta and Alfredo sauce because you can just grab a can of it, dump it out, and... Chicken fettuccine Alfredo. Yep. And if you remember, if you remember, that's what our father always did for our mother. Which is strange because our father can actually cook. Uh, When he tries. Yeah. Yeah. But obviously he wasn't trying. He'd only cook really nice when it was for himself. But we don't have to get into that part of our story today. <laughs> yeah. He cooked really nice with me sometimes, but because it was for him. Yeah. And I just got to share. Yeah. But I learned to cook. That helped. Right. So I just had to ask that before you got on to, to what you are saying. But I did interrupt you. So you're <laughs> yeah. moving on to, to selfishness. Well, it's, it's funny because you bringing that up. I asked the lady in floral yesterday. Cause, I mean, we have. 30 times more flowers than we ever have in the store. They're everywhere. And I said, so which day is the busiest? The day before, day of? She looked at me. She could tell I was leading the question. She said, oh, definitely day of. Like mid-afternoon, day of. And I'm like, yeah, because it's the guys who are like, oh, crap, it's Valentine's. Yeah. They go to the grocery <laughs> store and they pick up flowers. <laughs> and probably Alfredo sauce. Probably. <laughs> And then they don't get strawberries. They get the pre-dipped ones that cost like twenty dollars for twelve of them, because then they don't, you know, have to waste the time to actually dip the strawberries. Right, right. I got my Valentine's Day celebration with my lady out of the way because we both have children and jobs, and we're not going to be available that night. So that's what we did instead of Super Bowl Sunday, which. Some guys would be like, "Ah, oh, Super Bowl." No, I'm not that guy. Like, I kind of care less about about. Super the Super Bowl or any kind of sports, really. I guess you could say I'm not that selfish in that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got home just in time to watch the Super Bowl and didn't because I live in the real world where you know actual reality matters, not fake made up sports. So, well, and the stuff going around about some of the chat areas I'm in about the different satanic rituals and what they do and. People just think it's this, well, uninformed people think that it's just this presentation, and there's so much more to it when you actually look and see what's what's happening. If you had an opposition that's trying to deceive an entire, you know, existence of people, why wouldn't you do it on the most televised program that exists, you know? Right, and then you tell people it's a game, watch this, be entertained. And then you've got the people that think they see behind the curtain and go, no, it's all rigged. 
and you're like, yeah, you're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> you got one step out of the box. You got to get your other foot. That's why the Lions <laughs> lost this year. They lost the Super Bowl. Dude, did you realize that they almost went to the Super Bowl this year? No, I don't pay attention to anything. I know, and I don't. I just work with <laughs> a bunch of football freaks. And yeah. we had an event here at work for the recovery community to come. That's when I ate the hot sauce that almost did me in. Story for another day. We don't want to hear that one. No, you don't. It, it, was, it was painful in, a, in many, many different ways. Anyway. No, the Lions got to the last playoff game. Like, the game that was, win this game, you go to the Super Bowl, and they lost. That would be like the ultimate comeback story. After 30 years of being worthless, Try or whatever it's been. 70, I think, 50-something or 70 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the thing that I find, and this is part of the whole psyop too, but I find it, absolutely hilarious i work with a bunch of football nuts too they're always talking about football they have fantasy leagues all that stuff i overhear it constantly yeah. and i just don't get into it but i like to watch football like on thanksgiving and stuff like that i like to watch football when other people are watching football and i happen to be there yeah but i will never turn it on and watch it myself mm-hmm. and um i'd rather play it actually i'd rather play other sports that i think are better but i don't mind playing football <laughs> That's kind anyway. of where I'm at too, because I got bullied into being into fantasy football this year, and so I just always would make the dumb comments like, "Did you see the game?" And your guy was there. I was like, "Yeah, he did the hat trick, got the three pointer, and all, and all that." <laughs> did you see that game-ending three-point goal? It was amazing. Well, that's the wild thing about the Lions is they wrecked the 49ers in the first half. Like they were up, yeah. I think almost 30 points, and then the second half, completely joked. Well, that's what they're known for. Is, um, and they haven't been. It's like they, they fell back finish. into it. <laughs> yeah. They, they come out of the gate good, and then they can't finish. Yep. yep. That's just how it seems to work for them every time. Yeah, personal... I brought it up. The one uh, assistant store manager is super into it. He's talking to talk football about everything. And I go, hey, see, you put money on what color uh, Taylor Swift shoes are going to be at the Super Bowl. <laughs> and he just rolls his eyes like this freaking Taylor Swift showing up. It's ridiculous. It's supposed to be about the sport. And he's just going out. It was hilarious. <laughs> I heard something, somebody was making memes about, um, I heard Taylor Swift's boyfriend was playing at the Ludacris concert or whatever, or at the Usher concert. Because that's who, <laughs> who did the halftime show was Usher, and then they had Ludacris and a couple other people come out. Which I didn't That's see it. I've only memes is my way of knowing any of this. Then she's dating the one guy from one of the teams. I don't know. Yeah. So I know enough to know he's on the Kansas City team mm. that won, Jeez. and that he yelled at an old man during the Super Bowl. There's more I've memes. More memes about that too. Of the picture of him yelling at him, and he's like, "We have to win, otherwise my girlfriend's gonna dump me and write a song." <laughs> so. <laughs> That's what the whole thing's about. Yep. Got to get some good songs out of it, you know. Anyway, rabbit trail anyway, number one. Yeah, back to our subject. I, I told Mitchell at the start of this we should just come out. He's like, what should we talk about? What should we say that we're going to talk about at the start? And I said, just call it the night of rabbit trails. That's probably what Hopefully they're interested. I've titled a podcast in the past, pre-you joining me, 
Rabbit Trail City or something like that. So yep, I remember listening to that. Yep. And that was accurate. <laughs> to be fair, my co-host at the time, it was kind of hard to keep him on track. So, but you guys did all right. But anyway, let's go back to back on trail. Original yeah. trail. I don't even remember where we were. This is your, it's your trail, so take me take me back. Selfishness. <laughs> Which the Super Bowl is actually because really what I'm going to get into. I, I started reading the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Got through. I, I've read over the past two days. Cause I didn't work until late yesterday, and I had the day off, so I read most of the day because my feet are really sore from working on concrete all the time. Mm-hmm. So I didn't do a lot other than read. I've got like three quarters of the way through the book. It's not a big book. But I read a chapter, a couple chapters about pride and humility. And it was just a good reminder. And he's going through the basic principles in your Christianity. He goes through the basic principles of Christianity. Not Christianity as in Anglican or Roman Catholic or protestant versus catholic or any denomination it's just the basic every christian church believes these things these are the fundamental principles all christians that's what he tries to lay out and, and explain it so it's a really good refresher for me and one of the things i've noticed is that we weren't taught some of the fundamentals growing up in the church that we grew up in even though they claim to be solo scriptura and emphasis on all of that and yet we weren't taught some of these basic principles that are all drawn from scripture yep and we were talking you know we talked about humility and pride and stuff like that but he's talking about virtues versus vices the main vices the, the deadly sins the virtues and like none of those terms were used in a way that's memorable he said the problem with most sin is most sin is a lust of the flesh that is amplified and we are tempted to be led astray, to give in to gluttony, excessive use of alcohol and other things, perverted sexual desires, yep. things that aren't in the proper order of what they're supposed to be. We're enticed to steal, to lie. To, and these all actually come from an animalistic nature mm-hmm. to preserve the self or give the self pleasure. But he said there's one other sin that is known to be the vice of all vices and it's pride. You know, we say pride comes before the fall and oftentimes people talk about the fall of Satan, that it was his pride that led to his fall. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to bring that up as I've been looking at our culture, I'm seeing just this blatant selfishness everywhere. And I'll explain how I've been seeing it and why it's been frustrating me so much. And probably upset a lot of people because they'll realize they're one of the people that do this. And I'm sorry if that's you, but you can change and you can be better. And I do it sometimes too. We all do. None of us are perfect. I'm trying. We all, I mean, some (laughs) of us have much further to go than others. (laughs) Mitchell. (laughs) I haven't even talked about anything yet. (laughs) (laughs) I know. But yeah, it's it's a major issue in our culture. And I, I was thinking selfishness. And then as I read that, I'm, I was like, it's not, it's pride. Our, we live in such a culture of pride, which should be easy to understand because there's flags everywhere that we call pride. There's parades that we call pride. Mm. There's, 
you know, certain presidents we've had who were the epitome of pride, mm-hmm. whether you worship them and thought they were the next Messiah or not. There's a current president we have who's also the epitome of pride in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Pretty much all politicians. <laughs> Talking about <laughs> bringing up the political thing, we really should have looked into that whole Tucker Carlson, Putin thing. That would have been interesting. I didn't get to watch it. If you didn't hear about it, that was that was a big deal that happened. We might have to chat about it later. I can talk about it a little bit. I didn't get to hear it myself, but I heard quite a few excerpts from things that I've listened to. I read a couple short articles about it explaining like what happened, and nobody was happy. And it was because they were all liberal bloggers talking about Tucker Carlson, who's right-wing. So I have a very unpopular opinion on Putin. Mm-hmm. That we'll get into later, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's just leave it there. We'll get to it later. Back. Cliffhanger on that one. Back on track. So, do you have any comments or anything you want to say? Anything you've seen in that the realm of you know pride and selfishness and humility? And before I dive in just a little bit more, because I've got examples of what I see in the culture working with people every day. So. The first one I want to connect a rabbit trail is that the Lions fans call themselves the pride, and that's what we were just talking about. <laughs> I, that, that, that doesn't help. Um, I feel like I have a lot of experience in this section of the human existence because I feel like I've dealt with a lot of being the bad kind of proud in my life, having the bad kind of pride, and I've also been told by people that I am too humble and (laughs) it's like well I feel like I have a pride issue maybe I hide it well and I'm sure you don't feel that I'm too humble because we you know grew up so close Mm -hmm. so I don't know I just an interesting perspective because I'm told one thing but I feel another Mm -hmm. about my own my own behavior but other than that I was yeah where you were going with it, that's this is kind of the, the add-on that I have for it right there. I, I've got two basic things for that. And the one is, if you don't think you're prideful, you have a problem because you are. Mm-hmm. It, it, everyone is. And so, like, the second that we come to a point where we're like, no, I don't deal with that. I, I was there for a really long time. Then I started to learn what pride actually was and the different facets of it. And I was like, oh, I'm super prideful. You can deal with it. Mm-hmm. Being too humble, this is the second point, is that being overly humble is also pride. Oh, okay. This is something I learned through reading scripture, actually. And I don't remember where. It was like, read a bunch of different stuff and then it made sense to me kind of thing. Pride ultimately... And, and there's different facets of it. Pride's really messed up because it is a desire to exalt yourself above everything. When I said being overly humble is also pride is because you're only paying attention to yourself. If you're looking at yourself and going, oh, I'm so horrible and I'm so meek and I'm so, I can't do anything. And I think people go, oh, you're so humble. You're so, you know, if you get into that side, you're being selfish. You're only looking at yourself, and that's still pride. Huh. It's just really sneaky pride. I was told yeah. that it wasn't necessarily a good thing. Like you're one of the most humble people I know, probably too humble. And I was like, thank 
you, but that was a long time ago too. I had a point in there somewhere. I wanted to point out something you said, but I lost it. So you move on from there. Well, so another type of pride, the main type of pride that people think of is you're arrogant. You think you're better than everyone else. You know, a proud, a, not proud, but a prideful person wants to have the most money. And when someone else has more money, they need to get more money so that they can have more money. And then when they get more money, they rub it in the other guy's face because they have more money than them. I'm mm-hmm. richer than you. Oh, you got a nice car, they get a nicer car. They rub it in your face. And, they, yes. you know, it's that kind of thing. Like, that's, that's the main, that's the super arrogant pride that's really easy to spot. And that's the pride that's, that's the most dangerous because at that point you exalt yourself above others. You turn yourself into some sort of demented God that feels that you deserve all things and that everyone else is inferior to you. That's bad. <laughs> obviously. No, I agree. And I remembered what it was. It's when you said that if you don't think about when, how'd you say it? You don't think about being prideful. That means you are prideful basically. Yeah. You know, my, therapist while I was uh, I was about some three years over three years into my recovery journey now I was about halfway I was dealing with a rough toxic relationship you know what I'm talking about and yeah I (laughs) no um I asked my therapist like I was called a narcissist by this person who was very obviously narcissistic and manipulative and, That's a sign of a narcissist, by the way. Yeah. When they call all their people narcissists. And I asked, I, it, it bothered me because I yeah. know what a narcissist is. I actively try not to be that way. And then to be called this, I think that's why they did it because they knew it would get under my skin. But then I asked my, my therapist, I was like, hey, can we talk about this? Like, am I showing narcissistic qualities? Am I in qualities? <laughs> Whatever. Um, yeah. But, and my therapist said, you're not a narcissist. You know, I had this relationship with my therapist for a year and a half. She known me pretty good, and I've been really honest with her the entire time. And she goes, you're not a narcissist. And the reason I know you're not a narcissist, Mitchell, is because you're asking me if I think you're a narcissist. <laughs> she goes, yeah. narcissists do not question if they're narcissists. They just be narcissists. That's just how it is. And so when you said yeah. that about pride, it made me remember that. And it's like, yeah, no, I've, I have professional, educated people tell me the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a friend back from uh, Michigan who really messed up upbringing, had some really horrible things happen to him, and ended up in a psych ward for a full psych evaluation, had everything taken from him but his underwear. Mm-hmm. And put in a cell with nothing in it but a bed while they processed all this stuff. He was in there for like 24 hours. He was 17 at the time. And so I I started working with him in construction work a little bit after this. And we'd make jokes, you know, saying somebody was crazy or something. Someone goes, hey, yeah, you're you're crazy. And he goes, no, I'm not. I'm certifiably not. Actually, I can show you the paper, which I just thought was hilarious. I I heard him say it to a few people. Well, like, you know, way to own it. This is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I say something similar when somebody's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I can get with my therapist. They have a list. <laughs> yeah, I, I usually tell people, do you, do you want the list of what's right? Because it's a lot shorter. Do you want to know what I'm, st- 
been medicated for or not? Because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Past medication, current medication. So what list are you looking for? Like Hey man. A lot of I'm not on any medication now and I always add the asterisk to that that I'm not just like off my meds. I came off of them the healthy way <laughs> with the help of a doctor. Went on them and off of them exactly how you're supposed to. And I'm proud of that. I was going to drop the P word, but I think it's the good pride. So <laughs> There's a word that C.S. Lewis used. I'm, I'm not going to be able to pull it back up. It's not commonly used now, but it's a better term to use than being proud of something because proud and pride are connected. Mm. Yeah, it's gone. I'm, I'm not going to find it, but there's different words. I'll go back and <laughs> look it up. We'll start using that one again. Yeah. No, that'll be good. Um, I like when we start what, to use the better words. Right? When we reclaim language for what it actually means. Yeah. I learned the other day, and this is probably really dumb that I just learned this, but someone listening will learn this when they listen to this. So, gentlemen used to mean something. Gentlemen? Gentlemen. What does gentlemen mean, Mitchell? A polite. It's not a trick question. Just no. I would say I would consider it a, a polite adult male. So a man that you find agreeable, essentially. Maybe not necessarily agreeable, but uh, respectable. Or that you approve of. Yeah. That that you look at and you go, I respect that. Yeah. So it's completely subjective. Right. This is what I found really interesting. The gentleman used to be someone of a coat of arms, meaning they were of military duty and in a respectable position and owned land. Oh, so I'm not a gentleman. So you were of a coat of arms and you owned land. You could be a total jerk. You could be punching ladies on the street, like slamming doors in women's faces, very non-gentlemanly things to do. Is that similar to being a lord? In, like, Western Europe? Um, something like that. I think lords just own land. Okay. I don't know if there's more to it than that. Because I know you can... Currently, there's an investment group where you can buy a square foot of land in Scotland. Yep. On a nature reserve. That's what I was and thinking. And you can become a lord or a laird. I think they say laird. Yep. You can, you can buy different sizes. A square foot, six square foot, ten square foot, or whatever. But I mean, I'd be all for it if I could buy an acre and go like build a year around it. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But I have to say, it's no offense if you've bought that. Well, some offense. There's there's some offense in the words I'm about to say. So sorry, but not sorry. Hmm. That's pretty prideful to just buy that to get the title of lord. Right. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) If that. Because that's the only reason people do that. There's no, like, they're not running a regenerative farm or planting trees. or It's just, I'm a lord now. Yep. I live in America, and I'm a lord. I own a postage stamp in Scotland. And, <laughs> like. It's 12 it's postage stamps. It's 12 postage <laughs> stamps. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. <laughs> a square foot of postage stamp. <laughs> They do have nice grass over there, I hear, though. <laughs> well, the 
original meaning of words is something that I've actually been interested in before today because I've, you know, that our education in the homeschool world didn't get us impeccable grammar. Um, Thank you for grandma. Grandma. We didn't get the greatest grandma. We, we had, had a great grandma, but we didn't get great grandma. We had a grandma that was great. We had a great grandma, and then we didn't <laughs> learn very good grandma. Yeah. One of the ones I started to use where people don't use it properly anymore is ignorance. I would typically use it in the context of when I didn't know something. Or I would mess something up and be like, I would apologize and say, I'm sorry, I'm ignorant to how that works. Can you please tell me how to do it? And people would get, how would I, how would I say it? Not upset, empathize or sympathize and be like, well, no, you're not stupid. And I'm like, well, no, I'm, I'm not saying I'm stupid. I'm saying I'm ignorant. I learned somewhere down the road that the word ignorant just meant that you didn't know it. And maybe yeah. that's not. Because you're lacking that knowledge. Yeah. And so that's how I would use it. And it's just not used that way almost anywhere, at least in this part of America. And it just takes people back because they're like, no, you're not stupid. But it's also it's one of those things like when you say, I'm going to forgive somebody. And they go, well, you shouldn't let them back into your life. And I'm like, I never said anything about that. <laughs> I said, I'm going to forgive them. I meant forgive. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally different. That's one of those things. That's the great thing about going through the fundamentals of Christianity is it helps clear some of that stuff up because we grew up in a Christianized culture that mm-hmm. lost all of its meaning. Yep. And so people don't know what the terms actually mean. They don't know, like when the church says forgive, like a well-taught church that understands biblical principles says forgive, they don't mean reconcile a relationship right they would be saying something like reconcile that relationship right not forgive now you have to forgive first to do that because you can't hold things against people if you're going to reconcile a relationship but forgiveness is a totally different process and it's no longer holding something against someone else the recovery community here in northern michigan not i'd say 75%, and that might be a generous number, don't attend a church congregation, and they have a better idea of what true forgiveness is. Very sad. They have a better idea of what true forgiveness is than the people that attend church in the area, from what I've seen. And we're talking about people who would be labeled as drunks and addicts are learning what true forgiveness is better than the religious community in this area, in this, in this area. Yeah. And anybody in the recovery program that listens to the podcast, I highly suggest whether you're Christian or not, many of you are probably from a Christian background. They got burned by the church. Like both Mitchell and I have experienced. Check out the book, Near Christianity by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is known to be one of the best writers of the 1900s. Not just Christian writers, like of all time. Yeah, just writers. One of the best writers, period, of of that century. Mere Christianity, M-E-R-E, Christianity, is the basis of what Christian understanding is. One of the things he said in it, which I found amazingly profound, and I've thought for a very long time, 
he was talking about heaven and hell and he was talking about these different principles and redemption and all of this and how somebody who grows up, say you didn't have a father in the home. Your mom was working two jobs trying to make ends meet. You've got three siblings. You guys are living off of food stamps. You barely got enough food to go around. You join a gang to try to make it, to try to do something to help your family because that's all you know. That's all that's around. You're 13, 14, 15 years old older member of the gang puts a gun in your hand and says, that guy right there is keeping you from your food. Put a bullet in his head. And you do. That's how you're, you're raised. You come up in that. You've murdered, you've stolen, all of these things. He was talking about those kinds of situations versus the person who grew up in wealth, who had a silver spoon in their mouth, who's been in church every single day of their life, and who has a stone-cold heart and is not passionate about following what they say they believe at all. And he said that the prostitute and the murderer on the street are much closer to heaven than the person who's warmed a pew every day of their life but doesn't believe in it. Because the sinner who knows they're in sin is self-aware of the fact that there's, there's a better ideal that they need to work towards, where the self-righteous are living in that pride of thinking that they're perfect. They've exalted themselves to a godly. So if you're one of those people that had a rough upbringing, that's been in addiction, that dealt with this kind of stuff, and the way he said it was specifically like prostitute versus the man in the suit in church. Um, and there's been in suits in church that are great people too. I'm not, yeah. you know, not, <laughs> not saying that right. by any means, but redemption looks different for different people. The one who was raised shooting people so that their family could survive that's horrible. You shouldn't have done that. But when you no longer shoot people so your family can survive, you are now living in righteousness because you don't shoot people anymore. Right. Like, it's a very simple thing. You've turned around. You've repented of that. Even if it's one time that you've decided not to, that was a step of repentance. And if you fall back into it, then you turn around. And I'm not, I'm not condoning murder. In any way, absolutely not. You never should kill anyone. But it's bad. Like, most people hear that, and like, that's horrible. And I'm like, I agree, that is horrible. But some people are raised in that. You're not that far from repentance. Just stop killing. Stop stealing. Go get an honest job. Go bring something to society. And the self-righteous person almost has a much harder time turning to repentance because they're living in this exalted position of pride where they think they're perfect and have nothing to work on. And it's almost more subtle things that you need to work on in that area. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know. He, C.S. Lewis explains a lot better. He's much more intelligent than I am, or he was when he was living. I was that way once, though. I remember when I was 18, 19 years old before I steered my life down the wrong path. Uh, he was talking with a gal that worked at the dealership that I worked at, and she had just started attending a charismatic church and was just on fire. And we got into a conversation, and I remember really offending her because I didn't understand where basically just addiction would come into and why people would do that. Surprise! Guess what gripped me right after that? Like, right after that. Yep. And then I, I'm putting, I said gripped me, so I'm putting the, the blame on uh, iniquity, but 
it was you know my own decisions that brought me there. But she was coming to this church that was very open to sex addicts and drug addicts and, and stuff like that. And I just said some very ignorant things, very, very ignorant things about how I didn't understand how people could do that and why don't you just, just stop, just stop. And boy, do I understand how that doesn't work now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Sometimes you have to learn by experience. And it takes almost 20 years because that's what we're looking at. You know, this was yeah. 18, 19, 18, 17, 18 years ago. Just looking back on that, like, I lost touch with that person probably because I was an ignorant douche nozzle back then. <laughs> no. I, nah. Come on. Yeah. I'm looking back at sure it. a room around that time. Yeah. I would have said very similar things to this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I was that great either. No, we were. We all had our. We we still do, but we were working on them. But we weren't really great people back then. But I I understand exactly what you're just talking about the the religious guy because that's how I felt. And I had grown up in this shelter, this church, and I was better than everybody because of it. And I knew more about it because I had went to church every week my entire life. And then I fell and. Very, very hard for a very, very long time. This is another thing that I've went through recently. This is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but just going into the gratitude of the challenges that I've been through, my decision and not my decision to go through, just kind of remembering in the shadow work that I've done, and people are going to get so annoyed with me and my shadow work talk because I just can't stop talking about it, but digging through that old stuff and just being able to go either I don't know what I needed to learn from it yet or seeing actually like, well, that I would have considered that bad at the time, but now I'm thankful I went through it because I got to learn this and I got to see that and it's brought me to where I am today. I thought about that when going through, I was just in a real place of resentment yesterday maybe or the day before and I'm doing the best that I can to be self-aware of that and nip it in the butt as fast as I can. So I would go through and think about the situations or the people that I was thinking about and having resentments for and trying to pinpoint different life lessons that I've learned from the interactions from them or the situations. And one of them I just went, I really don't see any good there, but I know that if all of that stuff didn't happen, I wouldn't be where I am today. So thank you. And that's all I need right now. <laughs> there are some things that I've been through where I can pinpoint it and go, I learned this, 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 this. And it's like a wall of bricks. And each one has a different scenario on it that's very easy to pinpoint. And I can, it's like, I can see how that built. There's this other situation where it was very negative for a very long time. I made mistakes. I, feel, I still to this day feel like I made a lot less mistakes than were made against me. I have to let that go, and at this point, I don't know all of the lessons that I'm pulling out of that, but I do know that the suffering that came out of that, if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I'm thankful for that. Yeah. And some, that might be all I ever get from that situation. And that I was is- trying to look up the reference for what I wanted to say, and I, I went to the wrong place. I can't remember it, but there's a passage. I think it's in Isaiah. It might be in Jeremiah. 
So that. anyone that wants to find it, you only have a hundred or so chapters to go through. <laughs> <laughs> it says that all things work together for or all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Right. And when you talk about shadow work, I personally am not a huge fan of that term, but I know what you mean. I, I don't know a better term for it. I just don't like that term. I don't know why I never have, but it's a it's new agey term. So I can understand yeah, that, but everybody knows what I'm talking about. And it's like you said, it's looking at the past bad that you've been through and learning from it. Yeah. That's what I think that verse means that all things work together for good. Cause I've heard that used in the church where they're like, Okay, you're a drunk who's sleeping around, who says you're going to do better, but takes no steps to do better. Nothing at all. You, you don't change anything. You're just living this way, saying you're going to do something, but never doing it. And I understand addiction. Addiction is very hard. I've dealt with it myself. Yep. But you do have to take steps. So you're taking no steps. You're living this way, and you're claiming... All things work together for the good of those who love God. This is for my good. Like, no, that's that's not how that's out of context. You're not using it. But when you're past that, you're you taking steps, you're trying, you're looking back, and you're learning from the things you went through, that's where that verse comes into play. There's a thing that in the recovery community that's being pointed out and a lot of people are it's it's they're doing the exact same thing that that you're saying and you're using it in like a religious connotation but in the recovery community it's recovery happens when you say it or starts when you say it starts and relapse is part of recovery and people get that confused we don't necessarily go by that standard around here because i do feel like you can learn the basics of recovery and have a relapse and then get back into it and so you can say that all the time before that you've been in recovery. But there's people out here that are mis- they're miscuing that for their sobriety date and saying, well, I've been in recovery for 10 years, but you know for a fact they relapsed six months ago. And so it's kind of a, a similar similar thing that is happening here. And yeah. so it's... I don't know if it's part of human nature to be that way. It's kind of sounding like it because it's in, it's in different stuff. But we really try to be careful in most of the recovery communities not because they're trying to be all-inclusive and get more people in the multiple pathways and, and all of that. But we're, we're trying to be really careful about the recovery starts when you say it does because then it gives you less accountability. And there's a, a yeah. TV show, actually. It's, it's really funny. But it's all recovery related, and there's a couple seasons, and it's called Louder Milk. I think it's on Netflix or something like that. And it's got some semi-famous comedians in it, and it's kind of a sitcom about these guys that are in recovery. They go into this AA meeting, and like half the people are drinking. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, they're, they're, they're going out of town for part of the, the, the storyline. And they just stop at different recovery meetings, like AA meetings, along the way. They go to this one, and this guy's holding a martini, standing up there, facilitating the meeting. And there's other people, this lady's got a margarita or some nonsense. And he stands up, and he's, and he's known, the, the main guy, who they call Louder Milk, he's, which is his last name. But 
is known for being kind of brash and just very upfront and doesn't care what you think. And he's like, what the hell is wrong with you people? This is an AA meeting or recovery meeting. I don't even say AA because they can't, yeah. whatever. But anyway, and they're like, they get like offended. They're like, how dare you try to define my recovery? Just because I'm having, a, and they don't say relapse, but like a, a bump in the road doesn't mean that you can judge me. He's like, so you're going to come here and drink in front of all these other people that are having issues? That's very similar to kind of what you were just saying, pointing more towards like the the modern day church, though. Yeah. Oh, so many things I want to touch on in that. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, no, there's one thing I wanted to say. I, I want to thank Pastor Rice, PR, for yes. this. Mitchell, when is a thief no longer a thief? I don't have a I know you've heard this. I have. And there's also in the recovery community another really close analogy for this too. I forget. I forget the the proper answer. But so our youth pastor used to say that he'd go, When is a thief no longer a thief? And everyone would go, When he stops stealing. They go, No. Now he's just a thief that doesn't steal, but if he goes and steals again, he's still a thief. Right. Because every time between stealing, he's not stealing. Right. So it might just be a longer period where you don't. Right. So you're no longer a thief when you start to give. Uh, when you stop taking, but you start to give. And you do the opposite. And I, I don't know what that looks like per se in you know, alcoholism or something, but mm-hmm. you can't just say, I'm not an alcoholic anymore. It's when you start taking steps towards stop being an alcoholic anymore that you can say this is when my recovery started you're actually taking steps towards a better life that's actually in what they call the big book which is the aa book the bill guy that runs it i forget his last name and people are gonna shoot at me for forgetting but uh his first name's bill he's the one that helped write like the original program for aa and he what he does is what do you have when you get a horse thief sober, you have a horse thief that doesn't drink anymore. He's still a horse thief. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's that's how they put it in in that terms. But, I mean, you got to figure this book was written in, like, the 40s or the 50s. So that was a little, yeah. <laughs> a little closer to when that was a, a relevant term. But it's basically the same thing. And, then, and now we call it dry drunks, being a dry drunk, where all you've done is stopped drinking. You haven't changed any of the behavior, toxic behavior with it. That's why when you're when you're saying that, I'm like, I know it has something to do with the horse thief, dry drunk talk in the recovery community, <laughs> but I can't yeah. remember exactly how the religious way to say it is. And because I remember uh, Pastor Rice talking about this too, and I've known people that have problems with that man. He was actually one of the good parts of my time at that church that we grew up in i mean he had his faults but everybody does and he was actually very very big part of the good parts of christianity that have roots in my in in my belief system so you know and and it's it's very similar like you have to start changing and you have to start you know changing for the positive and changing the actual issue and it's kind of like when i talk about i tried to quit drinking so many times it would never work 
Well, once I found out that my drinking was just a symptom of a deeper mental health issue and started to treat that, that was when I could successfully quit the the substance use addiction. And then it just opened the door for all the other micro addictions I had underneath of that and other issues. But you have to fix the actual situation. Yeah. And, and that's why I think, I mean, we've talked about this. I think you still believe this way that I personally disagree with AA in the fact that I don't, I don't think you are a recovering alcoholic or an, a recovering drug user for your entire life. I don't think you have to be. I think you can be. You might never get past the issues that made you want to go to that, and so you might always be in recovery. But I think many, many people can be recovered. Yep. And be in a spot where you might be able to go to a bar with friends and watch some music and have a drink and not feel tempted anymore to drink the whole bar. That you can actually get beyond it. Now, for some people, you might not be able to. So it's something you need to just completely abstain from. It's it's different for every single person, and it depends on where you're at, the things you're working through, yep. moments of weakness, all that all that stuff. So I don't want to like suggest that people just go try that, but I don't think you have to be in recovery the rest of your life, right? At least for that issue. I mean, we're all in recovery for our entire life. But. <laughs> <laughs> recovering humans. But no, and we talk about that a lot here, and you have to be careful because it can trigger some people to have bad ideas in, in what they're saying. But I will not identify myself as, hi, I'm Mitchell and I'm an alcoholic. Because I, I believe that identifying as that is giving it power in my life. So if I have to identify as anything more than my name and who I am, I identify as a person in recovery just because of the community that I work in every day. I don't tell people don't do that. Like, that's your choice. If anybody asks me why, and it's come up in conversations before or my meetings that I facilitate on Saturdays, I'll tell them why I feel that way and why I do it. Because I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I do still identify as being in recovery. But there is this part of me where I have conquered it. And then yeah. you get into the argument of the semantics. Well, it's like, well, if you conquer it, then you should be able to do it responsibly. And I'm like, I just don't want to. I don't want to test fate. I don't want to, any of that. I just don't. And if anybody wants to get, get really pushy about it, I'm going to say, okay, well, you're a serial killer. And you've killed 30 people. And then you don't want to be a serial killer anymore because you know that it's bad. You've been reformed or whatever, and you stop killing people. Are you going to be like, okay, well, I'm just going to kill people on the weekends now. I'm just going to, I'm just going to maim people and not, not take their lives. You only kill blondes under the age of 25 with a knife. So now that you're recovered, I'm going to put you alone in a room with a blonde under 25 with a knife, but you'll be fine. People will say that's an extreme, but to me it feels very, very, very similar. I don't have to go back and prove that I can do the thing that was dragging me down just to say that I've conquered it. Now, I have, and this is not recommended for many people, but I do feel like I was called to conquer my my issues and my, my struggles and my, my suffering through... Yausha and, and higher power and 
depending on if we have recovery listeners or, or not. I had to go back to the places because it's more people, places, and things than it is the actual substance that's, that's dealing with you. And I had to conquer the triggers. I had to go back to the liquor store that I got most of my stuff at and just buy a Powerade and then go back again and buy a pop and had to deal with that shaking from the anxiety of, of being there and feeling it all again. I had to go back to my, my favorite bar that, you know, people would remember the drink that I wanted where I walked in the door and just order a sandwich. That was something that I personally had to do for me. And it is not something that I recommend to people unless you are called for a higher purpose. Yeah. Because those triggers, if you're not ready for it, those triggers will cripple you. But I do think that if you're self-aware enough, you're going to, you'll know. And some people just get a little too excited. It's like the they put their cape on and they want to just conquer everything and just do all. And it's like people who work the steps in the AA group. They just want to do this step today and the next step tomorrow and the next step the next day. And then I worked steps. It's like, well, no, you really didn't. Because some of those steps actually don't ever end. They're actually just <laughs> personality traits that you need to hold on to for the rest of your life. You know, there is no finishing them. It's something like that. Like, you have to be ready. And if you go, I'm ready, you have to think three or four more times and ask yourself if you're ready. Because the first time you say you're ready, I almost guarantee you're not. And you're going to just put yourself into that spider web. And that's a problem in our culture because we're a culture that checks boxes and moves on to the next thing. Uh-huh. You had that experience. You did that thing. You conquered that. You like That's not how human life works. Nope. And I have to say... <laughs> Reading about the principles of Christianity again and starting to look at what Christianity is after looking at Taoism, Hinduism a little bit, Buddhism, New Age practices. If you're in recovery, Christianity is where you need to be. And I'm going to say that boldly. You don't have to trust me, but I'm going to say that boldly. And it's specifically because Christianity explains human nature, the fallen nature of man, the higher ideal, the reason you feel like total garbage because you are addicted and you know that there's something better that you're supposed to have in your life is because of the Christian God who's calling out to you to call you up to a higher ideal, to what mankind is supposed to be. True Christianity explains these True Christianity gives you a way out, but it's a process and it's a lifelong journey that includes relapses as part of the process. And that's the amendment I wanted to throw in there, so you kind of did it for me, is (laughs) we have an entire existence of people that that are triggered by the word Christianity. And we're not talking about the average Christian church that you walk into on the corner, you know, down the street. We're talking about true Christianity, and there aren't a lot of places right now where you can walk in and get into a congregation of people and just plug in and, and, and learn that. The I would say the majority of quote-unquote Christian churches aren't teaching true Christianity, and, and some of it's their conscious 
choice and some of it it's not. I think a lot of people have been deceived for a really long time and I, I can't judge these these people, but for some reason they're either happy or comfortable in their little bubble that they've made themselves so they haven't been pressured out of it, but there's some of us who have been pressured out of that and need the more. And I think people yeah. in recovery can can relate to that. So you really have to push past the trigger. But I do agree with everything you said. I think that true Christianity, not just for people in recovery, people everywhere, it has absolutely everything that you need to survive. And the churches will tell you that, but they don't tell you absolutely, you know, how. Yeah, but, they don't teach you. Yeah, they just say And, and that's say what, why I wanted to touch on natural law. Because that, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm in a weird spot because I have a friend who's gifting me a Quran and I'm going to be studying the Quran yeah, and also Christian orthodoxy at the same time. Right. So the next few podcasts are going to be interesting. Uh, I'm ready. (laughs) Yeah. We'll see where this goes, but what I'm learning about Christian orthodoxy is that for one, the Western church doesn't adhere to like 90% of it. Yep. And that Christian orthodoxy, one of the things that they talk about, they talk about vice and virtue, like we talked about. And I still want to get into pride a little bit more if, if we have the time and we can sort of back to that. But they talk about natural law. And natural law is not the law of nature. And we say natural law now and we use it in science as the law of nature. Gravity and just the way nature works, the way the planets rotate, all this stuff, which is potentially a bunch of BS anyway, because if you look at history, it may all not have happened the way that we're told. Yep. Different story for different times. We've touched on a lot of that. But natural law, when they were talking about that historically, especially in the, the context of the church, they were talking about the law of the nature of man, as in mankind, not just males. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All of mankind, or the kind, however we want to refer to it. Sons of Adam. And and daughters of Eve, Mitchell, come on. (laughs) You've got to... And those of Lilith, we don't talk about them. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so the nature of man, and it's specifically about you have most people in the West know about sinful nature. It was beaten over their head in a youth group they went to as a child. Mm-hmm. So you have an understanding, like, you suck. Everything you do is bad. You want to do bad all the time. There's no good in you. You're garbage. That's pretty much what we're told. We're also told, though, that there's an age of innocence, but that we're all born evil. Yes, I, and I, I, enjoy I, mean, that. I don't know if I want to touch that other than there is somewhere in the Old Testament that says the age of innocence like ends at 20 or something. Not in those words, but it, you're not held accountable to the law until I think 20. Or that's when Levites went into practice. I, I don't know. There, there was something about that. They're like 20 years of age, was some, which I think now that I'm, approaching 32 in my ripe old age i'm looking back at being 25 and i'm like i can't blame anybody for what they do before 25 because your brain's not fully developed and oh yeah i was retarded 
Yeah, you just you're <laughs> stupid. It doesn't matter how smart you are, you're stupid before you're twenty five. Mm-hmm. And I've heard women go, Yeah, but it's not the same for women. No, it is. Women develop faster physically overall, but their brain's still not fully developed or so it, it might be a little bit longer, a little bit shorter, whatever. But it's right around that time. And you do not have full cognitive function until then. And most of us do something to mess up our cognitive function before then, which is another issue. Yep. So back to nature's law or the law of nature, meaning human nature. I touched on that, that it's not gravity and light and the, the basic laws of nature. But in philosophical thought, going back through time, when they talked about the law of nature, they were talking about the, the nature of mankind. Right. And within that, it's not so much, as you touched on the sinful nature, it's not so much about the sinful nature of man. That's kind of the animalistic nature. Your body wants food, sex, rest, you know, basic, it's shelter, those, those kinds of basic things. And those can get out of hand and we can inflame different passions and things like that and we can tame those down and and find better order and whatever then there's a spiritual side of it that goes back into pride and things like that where those things get inflated beyond what they're supposed to be yep but when they're talking about the law of nature they're talking about an innate understanding of good and evil and what we're supposed to do this understanding is in every human being from birth we call it conscience not consciousness, conscience. Some would say it's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. What? I'm just going to let you go with that because that's what I was going to say. Because I was going to say ethics, morals. Some people I've heard say that the conscience is the Holy Spirit. So go ahead and I'm sorry for interrupting you because you were going where I was going <laughs> to. You're good. Some people would say the conscience is the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit given when an, a believer becomes a believer or is it? innately within man since the resurrection of Christ. Right. Well, the giving of the spirit of Pentecost, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I am not qualified to answer that question. But what I am qualified to say is that your conscience is a thing. People know when things are wrong. Right. People with the most perverted perversion, like being sexually attracted to children mm-hmm. and things like that, at some point, they knew that was wrong. The problem is when you keep going against what you know is wrong, you tamp down your conscience mm-hmm. until you just stop feeling it. So it's the same kind of thing when you're an addict, you know it's wrong. You know there's something better for you. Yeah. When you, you keep giving into alcohol or pornography or stealing or gambling or whatever it is that's messing up your life, you feel this guilt and this shame and you know there's something wrong and you know that there's something better. That's the law of nature, of man's nature, mankind's nature. Right. Because we're called to a higher ideal and you can, you can fight this. You can say, Oh, it's all just the universe and we're all part of this higher spirit or anything, but you can't logically come to that conclusion 
with true logical argument. And I'm not going to sit here and explain the entire thing because I'm not here to debate or fight anybody. Right. But if you really look into it and you start looking at it through a bunch, a bunch of different angles, which I have taken the past few years to do, there is a highest being of consciousness who has a moral law, who sets that moral law for us, and it is in us, and we know what is right and wrong. The problem is we usually choose wrong because wrong feels fun in the moment, mm-hmm. might seem to give us safety, even though it's taking from someone else, things like that. Like, So th- th- we fight against it constantly. And you could say it's the nature of humans like it's the nature of a rabbit to chew on grass, but it's not. It's different. It's that nature, we have the nature in us to eat when we need it. Right. We have the nature to procreate, so there's more of us. We have the nature to find shelter when there's a storm. Like, we know these things. We, we innately have that in us. But then there's also this, I need food. They have food. It would be wrong for me to take their food. Like what every, is that? Like every <laughs> zombie TV show there's ever been. <laughs> yeah, right. So I got two questions. Well, two things. I got mm-hmm. two things to say. One's a question for you, and one's a statement okay. to whoever's listening is Lucas doesn't want to fight or argue with you, but leave a comment because I want to fight you. <laughs> I'm looking right at Mitchell you. Mitchell will fight you all day. Looking at you right through your ears right now. Um, I don't have I don't have energy for arguments, but Mitchell will look at you through your ears and argue with you. <laughs> the second one is a question for you, Lucas, because you just said you've thought about this and pondered it for a good amount of time. And I like how you... Yeah have presented it, and I agree with it. But I have a question. Okay. And I don't know if it's necessarily my question or if I'm fabricating questions for listeners. Sometimes I do that, but I think it's my own curiosity. Because we're talking about innately knowing in our deepest part of our being, some would argue our spirit, the difference between good and evil. And there's a narrative in Genesis that might pinpoint when we as mankind inherited that trait. And it was a very Mm -hmm. dark decision our race made. You get get where I'm coming from? Yep. So do you think that what you're talking about was was innately part of Adam and Eve? Or do you think it's something that we have inherited after eating from the tree of good and evil? I think it was innately a part of Adam and Eve, and that is actually the Christian argument, and that we inherited dualism. Mm. So Adam and Eve were made to commune with God, to have dominion over the earth, and to eat from the tree of life and live eternally in perfection. And they chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we inherited dualism out of that. And dualism has become its own spiritual religion slash cult slash something where they split up God into two powers and you have the power of light and the power of darkness. Uh And these these powers are supposed to be equal and you have 
like good and evil and evil is of itself not evil because it, it's just one side of the coin kind of concept. More like a positive negative polarity, like a magnet. Yeah. But the problem with that is that evil is the lack of good. Uh-huh. It's, it's like light and darkness. Darkness doesn't actually exist. It's just an absence of light. Right. When there's light, there is no darkness. And when there's no light, there's darkness. We've talked about this a little bit before. When And I've also heard the guys from Blurry Creatures talk about it too. Uh, I can't remember which episodes it would be to reference. But where... And there's... There's scripture, I know there's one in Isaiah that I really like that you probably know the reference to because you're good at that, but where it says, where God actually says, you know, I'm the source of everything that is good and everything that is evil, and that's paraphrased a little bit because I'm bad at that too. And then there's the argument with the spirits that tormented Saul were sent by God, and... I haven't actually looked at that deeper. I mean, I've read it through the Sefer to see exactly what it says. And I, and I remember getting the impression that they were talking about, you know, Yahweh and not a lesser Elohim. Um, but so we've kind of talked and I've heard the guys on blurry talk about there's this, God is the source of everything that they're calling good and evil, more probably light and dark. And then there's actual, like, pure evil, like, just wants the bad part of you. There's this almighty God, Father Yahweh, who is this balance. And I think that's where the duality gets miscued because he is this loving, merciful, ultimate judge that will rain down hellfire and will hold you accountable for your actions, but loves you and doesn't want you to have to do that and wants you to make the choice to accept his way out. And there's, there's effort involved in that, but there, you also have this, this side of things where there's then you could say Luciferianism or what Tim Alberino calls the, the, the dragon, people call Satan or Lucifer, where it's just, it just seems to be evil. There is no duality there. There is no good side to that. And, of course, God uses what happens there for good. He's a very great orchestrator for that. Yeah, to that point, I would argue that you're wrong. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oh, that's fine. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. That uh, God is God is in the Almighty Father, the Creator of all things, is beyond duality. Okay, it is the perfect ideal, and is as Isaiah says, light. That God is light. It, it, John says He is light too. It also says that He is light, or brings light and darkness, and that He brings both good and evil. The way that evil is used in the Old Testament, from my understanding, from teachings that I've listened to from people who actually read Hebrew and were raised in Judaism, 
who are now uh, Christian is that the words used in the Hebrew Bible for evil are subjective, generally. So when it says that he is brings both good and evil, you can think of it in the sense of the IRS sends me a message and says, you owe extra taxes. And I go, no, I've been paying all my taxes. And no, you, you owe extra taxes. And so I'm like, whatever, that's evil. I don't want to pay that. That sucks for me. Mm-hmm. So that's evil to me. I pay my extra taxes. They take that money and they give it to somebody on food stamps who now gets to buy groceries for their family. And to them, that is good. If it were that, that benevolent. Evil. If it were that benevolent. And it's not. The taxes are corrupt. And <laughs> I so is the government. I but, appreciate I mean, your <laughs> Yeah. But that, that's the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> it's evil for me, good for those receiving it. You know, it's evil for the one it's taken from, but it's good for the one receiving it. You know, if if I am at war with your nation and you destroy my army, I perceive that as evil. You perceive that as good. Right. So I think that verse in Isaiah is talking in that context. It's more subjective than objective good and evil. Um, I, I could be wrong on that, but it the Bible seems to present God as the ultimate light and the ultimate perfection. Some of the things he does are perceived by us as evil because they are evil against us because we do wicked things. We cannot be in the perfection of God because we are not perfect. And because of that, he has to be just and punish us for the things that we've done. Well, and to add to that, think about some of the things that happened in the Old Testament. Like... Yeah. These spirits that were sent to torment David, that's one, or uh, Saul, sorry, to torment Saul. And that was to bring forth David so Yahusha could be born from the line of David. And it was also because Saul was not a righteous king. He did not follow the commandments he was supposed to and rule the people that he was supposed to. So he was getting punishment for not doing what he knew he was supposed to do as well. Article 2, Jacob. Subsection B. Yeah, exactly. But Jacob, not necessarily considered the best guy in the Bible. If you really read it, there's some some shady stuff that happens in there. But I've also heard recently that there's a perspective where where we kind of paint Esau as this guy who gets screwed over by Jacob. But Jacob literally becomes Israel which is where the line of David goes, you know, from. And that all of those sneaky things that happened there had to happen. And there's also, who you know, I've heard the the line of thinking that there was actually some genetic toying that was happening there and Esau wasn't actually fully human and that because of the the genes and, and, and things like that. And so Jacob had to have that birthright that he basically stole from his technically older brother for the rest of everything to work out the way that it did. When I read it or heard it presented that way, I was like, well, here we go. Cause I, I just heard this whole multi-week presentation called I am Jacob through a church painting. How kind of 
bad of a guy Jacob was throughout his life and some of the stuff that happened. But then you realize, and we can go back to my little theory of shadow work, that that stuff had to happen for the Christ to become the way that he did and for humanity, mankind, to have the salvation that it did. So I think that's kind of what we're getting at with the whole perspectives. You know, it's painted in a picture. And then we can also go into the fact that I think that somewhere, so many people say King James, I think somewhere along the way things were translated a little way to make the words and stuff a, a certain narrative be shown. But yeah. there's stuff left out, and that's where some of the other Apocrypha books shed a little bit of light on it, but there's also stuff that I just don't think exists to the public that's accessible to explain some of it. That's all part of the deception and don't have to get into that any further. That's kind of what you're the the picture you're painting here. Like there are things that people would label as bad happening for the ultimate good. Yeah. I just used a lot of words to say that last little <laughs> part. <laughs> um, you you brought up King James, and I I want to step on some toes real quick. Do it. Yeah, I. I've, I enjoy stepping on toes because I don't, I don't argue with people in person, but I do step on toes and they try to start arguments. I'm like, I'm not going to argue with you. You're just wrong. Um, I'm wrong a lot too. So prove me wrong. And that's fine. But if I prove you wrong, you have to be okay with that too. We're both wrong. We're both wrong on a lot of things. So James, the brother of Jesus, right? Yes. And so the Protestant church claims Catholics say that Mary was the ever virgin and was, deity and pretty much your own God. I, I don't truly understand it. They say that's not how it works, but that's how it's presented as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There is no James in the Bible. That, that's what I want to throw out there. So there's also no King James. His name is Yamez. Huh. James didn't exist then. And they may have existed, but they weren't pronounced the same way they are now. So just to throw that out there. The book of James was renamed so that King James could have his name in the Bible. Huh. The book of James was originally the book of Yaakov, because Yaakov is the Hebrew name translated into English as Jacob. Right. I just want to throw that out there because the basis, and there's people out there that are like King James only. It's the best translation. It's the most accurate. It's, it's like, it's literally based on a lot. Yeah. And it, it just they doesn't, it doesn't change. feel right either. If you want to throw intuition on top of that, it doesn't, there's something about it that feels gross. And well, I don't know how to explain James, that. James or Yamez supposedly comes from Yaakov, which means something along the lines of usurper or heel grabber. Uh-huh. because Jacob grabbed the heel of Esau and was pulled out by Esau because they were spinning. Mm-hmm. Also, Esau may have had a different father. That's a whole other conversation. It might not be genetic manipulation. It could have been two fathers. Well, and that's kind of what... you can't have twins from two fathers. I know that personally, but um, from personal experience, <laughs> if people don't... I'm not going to get into that part of my life, but that, that is medically possible, and I know it for a fact. And... That, uh, that's kind of what I was alluding to, genetic this or yeah. that, or, you know, that can be too far. You know, the genetic thing, it sounds more nefarious than, like, there's aliens in a lab somewhere, but it can be <laughs> as, as different as 
is a, a different bloodline breeding into the, the one bloodline. Yeah. So, and I've heard the King James heel grabber too. And then when I heard this thing about Jacob and how bad he was, but they still got the nation of Israel out of it. It wasn't until I heard one of the, it was one of the more recent episodes of blurry creatures where they were talking about, or no, no, it wasn't even, I keep giving them all the credit. It was stuff, uh, Timothy Alberino stuff where he was talking, uh, Josh Peck, who I would love to have as a guest on the podcast here sometime. And he's actually shown interest in it. It did a, like, a series. And Josh, right? Yeah, right? It's actually that Josh's name, too. I, that, I know. Yeah. But no, it, it no. Different Josh. Different Josh. I like this one more. Um, <laughs> but he does a, I think it's a four-episode series with Timothy Alberino. It's actually really good if you haven't watched that, because I don't think Tim has yeah. it on his YouTube channel. It's on the Daily Renegade, Josh's mm-hmm. channel. And it's amazing. It's four podcasts i think they record them all at they recorded them all at the, at the same time and then split them up into four episodes it's amazing and timothy goes into detail about the jacob yeah jacob and esau thing and then i had just heard this whole thing about how nasty of a person jacob was and then to see it painted in that picture i was like oh it literally felt like i was in the church, and they're saying one thing, and then Timothy Alberino literally pulled a veil off of it and saying, this is what a lot of people teach, but this makes more sense if you look at what is actually being said. And I really, yeah. I really like that. The actual meaning of the Hebrew names and words. And, and yeah. what was going on. And there's like, if yeah. this was the case, this stuff over here, this bad behavior makes a lot more sense if... We're dealing with some kind of genetic or, you know, different father situation. And it's actually not as bad as what it's painted out to be in the scripture that we have readily available to us today. And what seems to be implied is that, I can't remember his mom's name. It was Isaac and was it Rachel? Or no, Rachel was Jacob's wife. Rebecca? It might have been Rebecca. It's not said explicitly that I remember, and I, I've read through it quite a few times in the past couple of years, so I feel like I've noticed this if it was stated, but if there were two fathers, it seems to imply that she had been with her husband and then was raped right. by someone else. So then you get these two children, one which probably looked like the husband, right. which was Jacob. And then the other one that was Esau, who was preferred by the father because he was big, strong, manly, and a good hunter. So he brought home meat. And smelled funny and was very hairy. Yeah, to the point where Jacob put a goat hair pelt on his arm and fooled his dad with it. Like, how? Well, and it wasn't even that. Hair? If you read into the to what it says, it wasn't just a goat. He used his brother's Esau's actual garment, and it's mentioned that he had a particular scent. Which brings up the idea of satyrs, actually, which are something that is brought up. Speaking of the King James, it's in the King James. They use the term satyr quite a few times. It just means goat. That's what people say. It just means goat. Yeah, it doesn't. It means goat, man. But, you know. Chimera. 
We're not going there. We just, <laughs> yeah, we made up all that stuff upon, you know, in human history as figurative things that, you know, Pan, also known as the devil, was a goat god who had sex with everything. But, you know, whatever. Right. That just, <laughs> you know, just made it up. Which, if you look anyway. into, if you look into, oh, no, we're not anyways, and yet, if you look into okay. some of the the stories about people in the satanic ritual abuse that are claiming to still happen to this day, with pretty good evidence behind it and very believable eyewitness accounts, that that line of this figure and the having sex with everything and the the breeding of multiple bloodlines and just things like that, it's still happening. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not to make Chimera goat people. It's still happening for very similar purposes. Well, if you look at actual Satanism, their symbol, is, the Baphomet, is a goat man with a giant penis. But, yeah. Which is, if, if you understand pan, the idea of pan, which is where the term panic comes from because of the fear that he would strike into people. Which is what the people that go through the satanic ritual abuse say when this entity is around? Yeah. Yep. Forcefully doing things to them that they don't want done to them and things like that. Yep. It's been something spoken of in history and it's something spoken of still today. But in culture, we don't like to look at things that are actually happening to people. We just call them crazy and lock them. Well, we don't lock them up anymore. Yep. Now we just put them in government. But. <laughs> I think they're bred into the government, but anyway. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> That's a conspiracy. That. Definitely conspiracy. Most of what I say is a conspiracy, I think. <laughs> Which means this could be true in six months. Right. Well, I want to go back to Pride, and it actually kind of goes full circle. So, Satanism that we were just talking about is 100% based on the concept of Pride. Mm-hmm. There's Satanism and Christianity are completely polar opposites of each other because Satanism is based on do as thou wilt. In the Satanic Bible, the main principle of Satanism is to do whatever the hell you want. That's your moral principle. If you find pleasure in it, go for it. Right. In the Bible, Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto So, that principle is a little different. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. What are the what is the greatest commandment? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it: to love your neighbor as yourself. Right. How do you love your neighbor as yourself? You love God and you keep His commandments. That's also said. Well, and then, His commandments are not burdensome, which is also said. in the New Testament when uh, Yahusha is asked, "Well, how are we supposed to love God this way?" He said. When you find somebody that's hungry and you feed them, you do it to me. When you find somebody who's naked and you clothe them, you do it to me. So it's like this both ways. To love your neighbor yeah. the best way you can, you love God. How do you love God? You love your neighbor the best way you can. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's actually pretty straightforward because the disciples sometimes kind of dense every once in a while. And we're like, man, we just need you to just lay this out for us. And you almost get a little bit of a Jesus was somewhat irritated with it sometimes sometimes seems like it yeah, yeah like you just you just kind of get that from from reading it but at the same time he would be like 
do it like that. And that's what I always wanted from church growing up, to be honest. I was I always had these hows and how do I do this and, and how does it work and tell me. And I would get these blanket statements. But when when the disciples would ask Jesus about it, he would be like, this, do it this way. How are we supposed to pray? Do it like this, the Lord's Prayer. How are we supposed to love God with all our heart, soul, mind? You help other people and treat them right, and that's how you love God. Just with these practical life situations on how to do it. And I love that. I really do. Yeah. And the basic principle there of loving God is if you love the people around you, and love the people around you doesn't mean be okay with everything they say and everything they do. It, it means give food to those who are hungry, give clothes to those who don't have clothes. When someone's car breaks down, stop and help them. Well, Things like that. A charitable, you know, and, and make, make sure it's not a scam where they're trying to rob you first. And to but, jump back into a, an older podcast that we did, it's the charitable spirit. You, you've brought up yeah. that up before. No, it's It's having that is really... And I, I want to throw words given to King David, but to, to be a man after God's own heart, have a charitable spirit. Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis talks about charity. And one of the interesting things that he said is, if you are living the same way as your neighbor who makes the same amount of money as you, you're not a charitable person. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was, that was, that was kind of a slap in the face kind of thing to think about. Like, okay, so if you bring in the same amount as your neighbor and you're living with all the same luxury, that means you're not giving enough to people in need. Right. You're not being there for other people enough because you've got all the same comforts as the other guy who doesn't do any of that. That was something to think about. To bring it back around to pride and to try to finish this out with the whole thought process. So you have Satanism and Christianity, mm-hmm. pride and humility. Humility is not thinking lowly of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself. Right. That's what humility actually is. You view yourself as God views, which is valuable. You have inherent value because you're created in his image. And then you stop thinking about yourself and you start caring for people around you in every single situation you're in because he will provide for you. You will work hard. You will get the means for what you need to provide for yourself and your family. It doesn't mean just like don't do anything for you and your family, but it means to be focused on others, not focused on you. Satanism is the opposite. Do as thou wilt. It's do whatever you want, whatever makes you feel good, whatever you think is best for you at all times. And it's 100% selfish. And that takes me back to the original thought for tonight is that that's what I see in our culture all the time. Right, and I wasn't thinking Satanism until now, but now I see Satanism. Right, and the thing that really triggers me, that makes me think about this, and it's going to sound really dumb, but there's a lot of different things that I come across every day. But the big one is a customer walks past me in my job. I'm filling stock. I'm helping with an order. I'm doing whatever I do at the time, and I go. Hey, sir, how are you doing today? And they look at me and they look away and they just keep walking. Or they go, good, how are you? And they walk away so fast that I can't even answer the question. 
mm-hmm. or they knock something off the shelf and they look at it and they know they knocked it off the shelf and it's sitting on the floor and they walk away. Right. Be- because they think their time is so much more valuable than connecting with another human being mm-hmm. or picking up after something they drop or picking up something someone else dropped. God forbid that. That would be horrible, apparently. <laughs> Even though that's my job is to clean up after other people. If you work at a grocery store, your job is to clean up after other people. That's pretty much all you do. <laughs> <laughs> You're pretty much a janitor. If you're a janitor that puts things on shelf. But <laughs> I can see that. It's it, it's just it's very frustrating, very hard as someone who I generally care about other people and I try to connect with people and see them at their heart level, what they're going through, even people that I don't understand. And people from different backgrounds. That's why I read about different religions and stuff. Because like, I have a friend who's a Muslim and is offering me a Quran. I'm like, I'm going to read about it so I can understand where you're coming from. So I can understand where other people are coming from. Because I care about people. And I want to know people. And I want, you know, when I look at someone, I go, how are you today? If they want to stop and have a five-minute conversation, I'll continue working because that's my job but I will talk to them while I'm working because I, I, I mean it when I say that I'm opening up the conversation to have a conversation about how you are actually doing. Mm-hmm. Otherwise I would say hello. <laughs> you know, I've <laughs> like, gotten more intentional with that as well. Cause I've been, you know, with some of my volunteering that I do and not that I'm trying to brag, but some of the volunteering I do, I go into places where people don't typically have good days. And so yeah. instead of how are you doing, that can trigger a reaction in some people. So yeah. it's better to be wise with your words and say, it's good to see you or good evening or, you know, something like that. And to acknowledge yeah. another person's existence as a, as a person, because some of these people don't get that very often instead of that, empty formality of how's it going because every once in a while you're going to get somebody who doesn't take it as an empty formality and and it can can cause more problems than than you expected but there's more love in just acknowledging another person as a person what i found and this is kind of counter-cultural now but when i see a man come in i go hi sir how are you today And when I see a a woman come in, I say, hi, ma'am, how are you? When I see a group of women, I go, how are you ladies today? And that, especially when I see like a mom with a couple little girls, and I say, how are you ladies today? All of them will smile because they realize I'm I'm interacting with all. I'm not just saying hi to the mom. I'm noticing the family. I'm regarding them for who they are. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of problems that people have with gender and stuff today, but I'm like, I'm going to risk it because most people, when you say something like that, see it as a sign of respect that you see them for more than just a human being walking past. Right. You know, I've at least when I see man or woman and I acknowledge that, you know, <laughs> you throw that out there. It's not much. But oh, I gotcha. And I just, I bring that up. So it, it sounds it sounds really dramatic to say someone won't look you in the eye. That means they're a Satanist. 
That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but I'm saying the concept of Satanism and pride has gotten so far into our culture that people can't even give you the time of day. They, they won't even look at you. They won't pick something up that they drop, let alone something else. They won't go back to help somebody who drops something. They and it's just like, it's so sad to see in our society that that's how far we Mm-hmm. Because the only way to be better is to change that on an individual level. Acknowledge other human beings. Pick up after yourself at least. Yeah. Like that's your responsibility as a living creature. We're yeah. not animals, so pick up after yourself. Carbon footprint. And, yeah. People worry about their carbon footprint, but man, they can drop six peppers on the floor and they don't care. And <laughs> And then let alone if someone else drops them, like they'll step on them before they'll pick them up most of the time. And I'm like, just pick it up. I'm on the other side of the store. I'll, I'll try to get over there, but like sometimes I can't. Pick it up. Set it somewhere. And there are people that do. And I actually, I purposely try to call them out and say, thank you. Yeah. And they always look at, they give me this look like, yeah, I, I didn't do anything. I'm like, no, you did a lot more than you realized because 95% of people that come in here would have. Right. I get that sometimes too, but well, we've got less than seven minutes to wrap it up before YouTube won't accept us. Well, then we should probably wrap it up. <laughs> Even though I tell YouTube once the show gets bigger, YouTube won't accept us anyway. I know, but I'd like to get on there as long as possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Sorry, not sorry. If I stepped on toes, that's kind of my job on here. Mm-hmm. Mitchell's the lovable one. I'm the obnoxious one. That's how this works. I feel like um, it's been the other way around. I know, but I'm claiming it as oh, part okay. of my identity. You can have it today. Oh, that was something I wanted to talk about too, is identity. But that would take us longer than seven minutes, probably. We can start <laughs> off the next one with that. <laughs> I was going to bring up astrology, actually. Even though I don't believe most of its principles, I think there's principles in astrology that actually help understand identity fairly well identity i'm writing um, down identity and astrology for next episode yeah because I'll, I'll remember that if you bring that back up we'll, we'll be able to dive into that next week so there's a little uh cliffhanger for y'all you can uh go back next week we'll talk about that hopefully it sounds a little interesting that gives me something hopefully to research give me something to research during all of my just abundance of free time <laughs> yeah I think you'll pick up what I'm getting at pretty quick if you look at it. Yeah. I think we've had a really amazing conversation. It doesn't feel like we've been talking for almost two hours. It really doesn't. And it does not. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your views. I appreciate the fact that we don't always agree, but we always talk it out. Usually we come Mm -hmm. to a pretty good mutual conclusion, and sometimes we choose to keep looking into stuff ourselves, but... I get a lot of wisdom from what you say, and, and I'm glad that you bring that to the podcast. So, Thank you. I learn a lot from what you say, and it gives me different things to research, too. So hopefully it works that way for our listeners. And we can all keep learning on the journey together. If I could just get somebody to think about something that they hadn't thought about before, then I consider myself a success. That's that, yeah. That's where I'm at with it. That's the goal. But other than that, it may not be night where you are listening from, but we're going to say goodnight because it's night where we are. And <laughs> yeah. 
we'll talk to you next time. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Redacted Recover Your Mind podcast. For more episodes, click the link in the description.